Hello from Washington, and welcome to the very first episode of Down Ballot Counts, Bloomberg Government's weekly podcast that analyzes the 2020 fight for control of Congress. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, a senior reporter at Bloomberg Government. As political junkies, Kyle and I can't help but keep track of all the twists and turns in the presidential race. But for this podcast, we'll be shining a spotlight on all the biggest House, Senate, and state races worth watching and break down how the top of the ticket might affect them. We'll use data, reporting, interviews, and our combined decades covering national politics to give you an inside look at the shaping of the next Congress. So as the presidential race begins in earnest next week, we'll kick things off with a look at what to watch in the first congressional primaries. And later, we'll talk a little Iowa with Jessica Taylor, the Senate and Governor's Editor at the Cook Political Report. But rather than dissect the caucuses, we'll discuss the other major races happening in the state this year. We, of course, want to have some fun on here, so we'll also weave into every episode a few recurring features, including a campaign ad that caught our attention and a trivia question Greg hopes can stump both me and you, the listener. And each week, we'll start things off with a notable number. That's coming up next. Thanks for tuning in. 2020 is going to be fun, and it's all starting now. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down-Ballot Counts. Okay, Greg, it's time for your inaugural Diamond in the Rough number of the week, which we've dubbed Jero's Gem. What do you have today? Thank you, Kyle. Jero's Gem for this week is 113. Now, that's the combined total of congressional districts in the five states holding the very first congressional primaries of the 2020 election year on Super Tuesday, March the 3rd. Those states include the two most populous states in the nation, California and Texas, along with North Carolina, Alabama, and Arkansas. And the 113 districts among those five states account for more than one-fourth of the 435 congressional districts in the nation. And in Alabama and North Carolina, you have two of the most consequential Senate elections of 2020. So, Kyle, the congressional primary voting will commence soon with a flurry of activity. And I know you and I both look forward to discussing them in greater depth with our listeners on Down Ballot Counts. That's right. And uh, no spoilers, but I don't think we're going to be talking a lot about Arkansas. Uh, Democrats, not much going on in the House races, and I don't think they're even putting up a candidate against Senator Republican Senator Tom Cotton. That's right. Uh, Arkansas has really trended Republican recently, but there's an awful lot going on in the other four states, and I look forward to uh, breaking those down uh, later in the show, but also in the weeks ahead as we approach that March 3rd primary. All right. We'll, uh, we'll get to more of Super Tuesday talk uh, just after this. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. March 3rd is Super Tuesday. 15 states and territories will hold their presidential primaries and caucuses, the most of any single date on the calendar. But it's not only a big day in deciding the Democratic nominee to take on President Trump. It's also a significant moment in the fight for Congress as the first day of primary season for House and Senate races. From my angle, it's starting off with a bang with a ton of primaries worth watching. Yeah, that's right, Kyle. We have five states voting on March the 3rd and two of the largest states in the nation, California and Texas, the most populous states, as I mentioned earlier. So there's a lot of ground to cover. I mean, you might as well start with California first. You know, um, there are definitely maybe a half dozen or so districts worth watching in California, especially districts that Democrats flipped from the Republicans in the 2018 election. But a more immediate race in California 
is a special election coming up on March the 3rd, the first round uh, tally in that special election in California's vacant 25th district in Southern California in and around Sarah Clarita, Palmdale, and Simi Valley. This is the district that Democrat Katie Hill vacated last November. The March 3rd special election will have all candidates from all parties on one ballot. It's unlikely that a candidate's going to win a majority of the vote, but that's probably the first race on that March 3rd ballot I'm looking at. There are some others that are, I think are very notable as well. I look at California's 50th district, another vacant district. Duncan Hunter gave up that district uh, in mid-January, and you have a Republican fight, a fight for the Republican nod in that district. Um, what I would note about California, Kyle, is very interesting is that the California primary is not really separated. Actually, not really. They're not separated into Democratic primaries or Republican primaries. Uh, you have a top two system in California where the top two vote getters, regardless of party affiliation, advance to the November general election. So in some cases, you could have two Democrats advance to the November election or two Republicans. In most districts, it'll be a Democrat versus a Republican, but these are not separate Democratic or Republican primaries. Well, the other interesting thing about California is you know, in in uh, off years, they hold their primaries in June. This is in early March, so we're going to be having eight month general elections, which is extremely long. So we're going to be seeing probably a lot of spending. You know, in California, you don't you don't see quite as much spending on TV because it's just so expensive uh, in Los Angeles media market, um, Orange County, where all, a lot of these congressional districts are based around that we're watching closely. Uh, but we're going to be looking at some long fights between between these candidates. And that's kind of one of the interesting things uh, between presidential years uh, and off years, uh, midterm years, um, kind of one of the big bigger differences because all these states want to move up and, and have their presidential and their congressional uh, on the same day. That's right. And a lot of these candidates in California are also competing for attention with uh, the presidential candidates, the Democratic presidential candidates. And so that race, of course, is sucking a lot of the oxygen up. Um, and so um, a lot of these candidates are going to try and vie for attention and try and uh, you know, uh, get into a, a strong position in that March primary. And then, as you mentioned, you have an eight-month general election. Uh, but uh, the March, uh, that March primary in California is certainly uh, among the earliest in the nation. And uh, while the primaries are going on in California, we have primary day March 3rd also in Texas. 36 congressional districts. You have six Republicans retiring from Texas. You have uh, Mike Conaway in the 11th district, Mac Thornberry in the 13th, Bill Flores in the 17th. Those three districts, Kyle, seem to be strongly Republican, but there are three other open Republican districts, Pete Olson in the 22nd district, Will Hurd in the 23rd district, and Kenny Marchant in the 24th district. Those seem to be more those are probably going to be among the most highly competitive districts in the nation, certainly in Texas. And those are three that are very, uh, very much worth watching. Those first three I mentioned, it will probably be decided in the Republican primary, um, or more likely in runoffs that will be on May the 26th. But uh, those Olson, Hurd, and Marchant districts, I think, are uh, districts we really need to watch very closely. Yeah, so much action in Texas this year. Uh, there's a um, you know state house that that, that could flip uh, from Republicans to Democrats. We'll be watching that as well. Uh, so much going on in that big big state, um, which is always fun. And of course, we've talked a lot about house races just now, but there's uh, a few Senate primaries we're going to be watching on Super Tuesday. Uh, just quickly in North Carolina, Alabama, uh, and Texas. So um, uh, lots lots going on, lots to watch, and uh, and uh, we will be following it all. Uh, we'll leave it there for now, but we will discuss some of those races more in depth in the coming weeks.
And speaking of Super Tuesday, our weekly look at a recent campaign ad that jumped out to us highlights a candidate for Congress whose name fits in perfectly with today's episode. Let's take a listen. I'm Jessica Taylor, and I approve this message. I grew up from humble roots in rural Alabama. This was my squad. But today, a different kind of squad threatens our freedom. That's why I'm running for Congress. To take on the radicals, protect life, the Second Amendment, our borders, and President Trump from socialists in the swamp. And I won't apologize for it. I'm conservative Republican Jessica Taylor. Alabama, put me in the game. That was an ad from Jessica Taylor. Not our upcoming guest, of course, but a businesswoman and attorney running for the GOP nomination in Alabama's 2nd District. There are more than a half dozen Republicans running for that seat, which is open with incumbent Republican Martha Roby opting against seeking re-election. This ad checked plenty of boxes that are basically required for a ruby-red Republican district like this one, which is situated on the border of the Florida panhandle. Greg, what stood out to you? I'd say three things, Kyle. The first one that jumped out at me was that it highlights opposition to abortion and support for gun rights, border security, and President Trump. These are all key points that you can expect Republicans to make in a primary in a very Republican district. Uh, The second thing that stuck out at me was uh, she entitled, Jessica Taylor entitled this ad, quote, my squad. And it shows Taylor playing basketball, a sport, and a squad of her upbringing. She's running on a defeat the squad theme that refers to the liberal group of four House Democratic members led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a New York congresswoman who's pictured in this ad and in many other Republican ads, I might mention. Taylor is raising campaign funds with three other Republican women who collectively call themselves the conservative squad. I guess finally, uh, and speaking of Republican women, uh, Taylor is working to uh, seeking to succeed uh, Martha Roby, who's retiring. Uh, Roby is just among 13 Republican women in the House compared to 88 Democrats, and Republicans would like to narrow that gap. Taylor's trying to get into a runoff election, though, as you mentioned, Kyle. There are a lot of Republican candidates running in that open seat, and uh, we'll have to wait and see if Taylor can make it, can force a Republican runoff election. That's right. And, you know, I checked the numbers. She's She's getting outspent pretty heavily on TV uh, by moving company CEO Jeff Coleman uh, and former state attorney general Troy King. So um, she's got a a tough primary um, and uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. That's one of two open seats in Alabama that we'll be paying close attention to on March 3rd uh, and perhaps beyond. If no one gets a majority of the vote, as you noted, a runoff between the top two vote getters will be held March 31st. So stay tuned. Okay, coming up, we'll bring on a good friend of the show, The Cook Political Reports, Jessica Taylor. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. On the phone with us now is Jessica Taylor, who spent the past five years reporting on politics for NPR and very recently took over as the Senate and Governor's Editor at one of the most respected election analysis and handicapping newsletters out there, The Cook Political Report. Jess, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on your and honored to be on your first podcast. We are so glad you're on our first podcast. And we want to talk about Iowa, but of course, not about the caucuses. We're zagging here, if that's okay with you. Uh, There happens to also be a pretty big Senate race in the state, uh, which I feel like is flying somewhat under the radar because of Trump's big win there in 2016. Jess, how vulnerable is first term Republican Senator Joni Ernst? 
So she is someone that we are certainly watching. I put her sort of in a crop of about, I think, a half dozen Republican senators that, that are vulnerable. I don't think she is as vulnerable as you know, a Martha McSally in Arizona or Susan Collins in Maine, but she is certainly one that is in danger. I think what right now we look at as saving her is that it, um, Iowa, we did see, had a big shift in 2016 toward Trump after voting for Obama twice. And, you know, Democrats want to prove that the state has changed, that they are able to win it. Um, 2018 saw some encouraging signs for them. They flipped two House seats there. And but but Republicans still held on to the governor's race. So it was sort of a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, She is someone who, you know, when she was elected in 2014, ran as this outsider. She had, you know, that memorable ad, you know, about castrating hogs that she was, you know, going to make them squeal in Washington. So she sort of has this, you know, folksy persona and different things. But Democrats are going to argue she's gone Washington. And we have seen her, you know, approval ratings in the state fall. Well, and since Democrats had a pretty solid 2018, picking up a couple of House seats, uh, presidential candidates have been in the state campaigning and organizing uh, for about a year now. Is there any thought some of that will benefit both the presidential nominee and the Democratic Senate nominee? We have seen, I mean, the most recent example, of course, would be 2008 when there was, you know, a very vigorous race there with with Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and that really energized a lot of Democrats and paid off by Obama winning the state. And um, so the thought is that, yes, that it could help. And especially in a year when you just have the Democrats that are that are doing this is only that they're sort of the only game in town. They have been for well over a year, really. There's this, you know, millions of dollars spent there these campaigns organizing and Democrats just trying to get them out. And the question is, you know, when this moves on um, beyond just the Iowa caucuses, can that infrastructure remain? Can Democrats take advantage of it? And if they can, I think that certainly makes Ernst more vulnerable. On what issues or themes or accomplishments do you expect Senator Ernst to run on? And what can you tell listeners about the Democrats seeking to oppose her in the November election? So I think she is going to run on, um, she's going to highlight ag issues, certainly. I think that's been a big thing for her. Now, she's faced criticism at home, especially for agriculture and how it's been affected and hurt by, you know, Trump's trade war with China. But I think she's going to point to the, you know, recently signed USMCA um, and working with that. I think she's going to point toward um toward ways that that has, that has the potential to help Iowa, certainly. Uh, you know, she is someone who also I think, you know, we've seen a personal side of her this past year that um, I think will be interesting to see whether she, you know, highlights that on the campaign trail. She revealed last year that um, she was actually raped during college. So, you know, when we have this Me Too movement and sexual assaults, um, she's one of the few, I think, Republican women in the Senate that is sort of becoming active in it and how much that could affect it. She also has a memoir just announced coming out in May, Daughter of the Heartland, My Ode to the Country That Raised Me. So um, that certainly seems primed for, um, you know, for her Senate reelection campaign. Also could be a way to raise her profile, certainly for um, if she wins reelection. I would expect her to be in the conversation for, you know, 2024, possibly, too. But first, her first order of business is to win re-election. 
Democrats are now defending three of the four seats uh, in Iowa, and I know they would love to unseat uh, longtime Republican Steve King. Um, what are the odds of that? Is there any chance uh, he goes down this year? I think the odds are if he loses in a primary, then Republicans are going to keep that seat. He has a really strong challenger and state Senator Randy Feenstra. I mean, Republicans, he's been a thorn on their side for so long. He says all these things and they don't like to, you know, every Republican in the state then has to answer him, answer for him. Um, so, I mean, I think that he's certainly vulnerable in a primary, but it is a crowded primary and he could benefit from that split. Well, we will have to leave it there for now. You can follow Jessica Taylor on Twitter at Jessica Taylor. And be sure to check out cookpolitical.com to see how she rates all the top statewide races. Jess, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be on. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I'll try and stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. Kyle, you're now on the hot seat. Are you ready for this week's question? Bring it on, Greg. Okay, here it is. This week's trivia question. Who was president of the United States the last time a Democrat won a U.S. Senate election in Kansas? Again, that question is, once again, who was president of the United States the last time a Democrat won a U.S. Senate election in Kansas? in Kansas. Ponder that one, Kyle, and listeners. You can shoot your answers by email to bgovpodcast at bgov.com. That's bgovpodcast at bgov.com. Or tweet the answer to the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod for extra credit. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's program. That's it for us today. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. Our audio editor is RJ Jewell. Heather Rothman is Bloomberg Government's news director. And Josh Block is Bloomberg Industry Group's executive producer for podcasts. We'd like to thank Jonathan Hertarte, who designed our podcast logo, and Marlon Brooks for letting us feature his awesome voice on this pod. Thanks for listening to our first show. We'll have a new one each week as we track all the ins and outs of the 2020 elections here on Down Ballot Counts. See you on the other side of the Iowa caucuses. Cases and Controversies is all about the Supreme Court. Oh, come on. You know, come on. Well, I agree with you. Be serious. We sit down with leading practitioners and scholars to break down these cases. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up so I didn't have to. uh... Oh, I didn't know that. That is interesting. I guess my imagination is running wild. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Tune in every week for our deep dive and sneak peek episodes wherever you get your podcasts. As always, check out the latest at (laughs) news.bloomberglaw.com. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.